Miss Rachel. As much as I love the message of that song, I find it hard to believe how much I messed it up there. <clears throat> well, let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. get there to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Have you ever heard of Henrik Schwack? Schwack. I, I'll probably not get his name right there, but uh, probably not. Most of you go, no, I don't know who he is. Well, very simple. He was a Polish immigrant who died in New York City on September 11th, 2001. However, unlike the 2,871 people who died in terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, uh, Henry was uh, Henrik was shot to death in Brooklyn. He was not uh, part of the the terrorist attack. His his uh, he uh, uh, his killing was the only homicide in New York City on that day. The uh, the uh, his regular place of employment was shut down, but needing to work, he went to an employment agency in Brooklyn where he was offered a ten dollar an hour. Uh, to uh, clean a supermarket. At uh, 11.45 p.m., he was off to his, uh, uh, his last-minute cleaning job, and, and despite using a map he had borrowed from his landlady, he got lost after taking the wrong way when he came come out of the subway. And evidently, he ran into a wrong group of people. He was shot and killed, and to this day, his murder remains an unsolved and is uh, considered a cold case, but we do not... Uh, we do know that he died because he made a wrong turn. He died because he made a wrong turn. And a right turn is, is the series we've been in, and we've been uh, seeing how deadly it can be to make the wrong turn and how important it can be to make the right turn. And So uh, we're going to talk about how important it is today to make the right turn when you die. <coughs> Making the right turn when you die and, and uh, after you die. It, uh, it's plain that if you live right, that is, by faith in Jesus Christ, you will die right, safely in his care. And because of that, we learn today that we'll be forever right. And uh, you go, Pastor, there's a lot of rights in there. Well, that's all right. So I realize I'm begging the question to, uh, to, to begin with. And I'm uh, talking about the question that's as old as civilization itself. And uh, Bible scholars believe the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. We know that many, many years ago people were already asking the question, if somebody dies, will they live again? If somebody dies, will they live again? So here's one of the top physio physiological questions of all time. We know that we live and we know that we are going to die, but what we want to know is, is there life after death? And I'm preaching to the choir this morning. In that category, this is the, the, the easy crowd. You go, there's, uh, there's such an important question because there is one thing every life has in common with a street, a book, a movie, and that is they all have endings. They all have endings. We look and you go, there's uh, the endings. Your life has an ending, and just as sure as it has a beginning, your heart has so many beats, it'll beat no more. Your lungs only have so many breaths, they'll breathe no more. The question is, when there is no more to this life, is there more after this life? 
because they're more after this life. Now, the, the answer is deep, but the answer is simple because there are only two. Yes and no. You know, the, the answer is simple and uh, repeating answers to the question. The brilliant scientist, Stephen Hawking, who uh, died, said, uh, he said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And on the other hand, a vast majority of people, including me, believe there is life after death. There's life after death. By the way, if, you've, uh, uh, if you don't believe there's life after death, you'll find out uh, one second after you die. It'd be, you'll know. You'll know whether, it, or whether there is or not. In mo most cases, you may find out before you die. I read about a guy that, uh, that called into his boss and he said he couldn't go to work that day because he had to, to go to his grandma's funeral. The next morning he went to work and his boss went up to, to him and said, do you, uh, do you believe in life after death? The man with the puzzled, looked at him back with a puzzled look and he said, yes, I do. The boss said, well, that sure makes me feel a lot better. The man said, why? The boss said, yesterday after you called to tell me you couldn't come to work because you were attending your grandmother's funeral, she stopped by to visit you. Whoops. Of course, our worldview, the Christian worldview, is there is such a thing as eternal life, and that life doesn't end with death. In fact, some ways, it truly begins. It begins with when death. The first one uh, begins and, and ends with just one dot, but the second opportunity will be an infinite line extending into eternity forever. We all live in the dot, but if we're wise, we'll live on the line that lasts forever. You look and you, you go, there's, there's that picture. So what is the biblical answer to this question? Well, a man by the name of Saul wrote a, a letter to the church in Corinth, and, and he carefully spells out the detail how a believer in Jesus can be right forever. And uh, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and uh, he says not only makes perfect sense, but is great comfort on how we can make the right turn. How we can make the right turn. So let's begin reading in verse number 1. And he says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for what we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortally we might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I, I love the picture. It's interesting that Paul describes the body and that we live in as a tent. Uh, so I get to look at a bunch of tents today. You go, there's a, a tent, tall tents, beautiful tents, some worn-out tents, and what a great metaphor. What a great metaphor, and, uh, and we don't 
live in a tent. We camp out in a tent. Tents are built to be uh, lived in. You go, no, pastor, tents are, are put up to sleep in, to camp out, and then be taken down. They're temporary. See, by the way, Paul was a tent maker. So you go, it makes a lot of sense as a tent maker for him to use a tent metaphor. And in the process of doing so, you say, there he is. And so this is what he did for a living. I have no doubt that every time he made a tent, he thought about not only how temporary the tent would be, but the fact that a tent is a picture of the human body. You see, we never meant, we were never meant to live in this tent forever. This tent forever. Now, I, 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 would, uh, I have to be careful because I don't want to uh, offend anybody, but the older we get, the more we don't want to live in this tent any longer. It, uh, we, uh, we joke about that, but uh, we come along, and, and I'll remind you something fascinating. One of the 12 disciples, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was describing how Jesus became human, uh, a human being, and he said this, the Word became flesh, and he made, he dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. And uh, the Greek word for that make a dwelling or dwelt literally means to live in a tent. You see, the first body that Jesus lived in was temporary, like ours. And that's why that body could be crucified. But that tent at the resurrection became a house for God himself where he lives forever. So when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, they worshipped in a big tent called a, a tabernacle. They would put it up, they'd take it down. They'd put it up, they'd take it down. Finally, when they got to the promised land, the tabernacle, the tent, was replaced with a house called the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, of God. And one day we'll receive a permanent body, a house never to be torn down, never to be taken away. And I shout hallelujah. Never more, never more. I mean, so many people look at their tent like it's a house. Houses decay. Houses grow old. The paint begins to fall off. They begin to sag. People repaint the house. They refinish the house. They refurbish the house. But the house continues to decay. Doesn't matter how old, but because God built decay into it, the reason is, is, is we were never meant to settle down in this house. We're never meant to settle down because it is just a tent that will be taken down at death. You go, there's it will be taken away. But the day will come when the old cells will die. They won't be turned over. They will be turned under. The tent will go back to dust from which it was made. And when we strike the tent, we'll leave the tent and we'll leave this physical life. Now where everybody goes, preacher, there's an easy way to put that. And that is, there's coming a day when every one of us are going to die. Every one of us are going to die. This physical life doesn't last forever. It's appointed unto man once to die. But I want you to notice that through death, we look into spiritual life. See, it's important that we, don't, uh, that we not confuse uh, uh, confuse us with, with our tent or our body. Our body is not us. It's the tent we live in. This body is, is just the tent I, I live in. You see, in a real sense, you don't get sick, your body gets sick. You don't grow old, your body grows old. See, let me, let me you, you go, now, Pastor, 
your your body is not you. It's just the tent you live in. You, you go, Pastor, how many of you go, I'd like to be just as exciting as I was when I was about 19. Some of you go, my body can't handle that excitement. But in my mind, I'm there. You know, hallelujah, I am there. I am, I'm, I, you know, we're there. You go, I can leave that tent behind, but we're, I'm not left behind because we're not the tent. We, you will never be buried. That's the best part. Somebody says it's better than. I ask folks all the time. I always get tickled with this. I think this is the construction worker's motto. And I ask you, how you doing? How you doing today? Well, I'm not pushing up daisies. I'm not pushing up daisies. And I know what they're saying. I'm not dead. That's what they're saying. I, and I get that. I understand that. But I always I look at that and I go, that tells me you're not a child of God. You don't quite got your theology right. See, as a child of God, I'm never going to get to push up daisies. Because I won't be there. Paul told us in our text, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I won't be there. When I die, boom, wherever that might be, boom, I'm with the Lord right then. And I can celebrate because guess what? I'm not there. So as my family goes through their mourning, I hope, As they go through their mourning, you guess what? I'm in heaven already celebrating. I'm already celebrating because I'm with Jesus. That's why when, when one of the ladies that played our piano years ago, she was an older lady, she told me her name's Vera, and I remember she was playing the piano. I went over to her house and, and uh, was visiting her, and she said, Pastor, when you preach my funeral, when you preach my funeral, there's a couple things that I request of you. I request, number one, that nothing be said in drear or drab because I'm not there, I'm in heaven, and it's a party. So I want you to have a party at my funeral like I'm having. She's very specific in it. And then she goes on to tell me, she goes, and I don't want you just to have any old party, I want you to have a polka party. <laughs> Thank you for the younger crowd not knowing what that is. Because you go, huh? And, uh, and I said, oh, <laughs> I just kind of chuckled because I was like, she goes, you don't know what that is. So she proceeded to tell me and write it all down. I still have that back in my office back here, how she wrote down what she wanted for her funeral and, uh, and to have a poker party. I thought it was hilarious because I was like, my goodness. But she's right. You, when you leave this tent, you, you weren't left behind. When, when you leave the tent, you leave, it, uh, you leave the tent behind. Because you are not your tent. You're never buried. There's not a single person buried in a cemetery anywhere who used to inhabit those tents, had their tents taken down. Their spirits have been moved on into eternity. Your body has an expiration date. Your spirit has a moving date. A moving date. One day our tent's going to be taken down, folded up, put away. But you've already moved out. The question is, what happens in that period of time when we move out? There's what theologians call the intermediate state. That's where our spirits go to be with the Lord. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, his, uh, his body drew its last breath, his body died. But as, as his body was dying, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit 
my spirit. Our body's a tent, our spirit that lives inside the tent. When the tent is folded up, the spirit moves out. When the body dies, the spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus, which is exactly what Paul said. He said, we're confident down there in verse number five. We're confident. Actually, I'm sorry. Verse number eight, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord, or present with the Lord. I think it's interesting. When our spirit lives in our tent, we are away from the Lord, but when our spirit leaves this tent, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. This tent's only temporary, it's only intermediate state. So one day, our spirit is going to be clothed not with an earthly tent that will be destroyed, but with a resurrected body. A resurrected body. Handmade by God himself, and it will last forever. Now this is the part where I go, (laughs) this is, to me it's exciting because you leave the tent to get a new body. To get a new body handmade by the author and the finisher of this world. I can look around and I can go, whew, look at the beauty. We've been through this fall and you looked at the leaves and I don't know how many of you might have taken a drive or two and you looked to see just the color of the of the, the leaves as you took the drive. But you go, look at how beautiful it is or how about the sunset? Most of us don't get up for the sunrise. But we come along and you go, there's the, the beauty, the splendor of, of what we've made and, or what God has made. And we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens back there in verse number one eternal see I can look in the mirror every day and remember this this body is not my home this body's not my home uh, we literally are just passing through one of these days we're going to receive that brand new body it'll be uh, immortal it'll be incorruptible it'll be invincible I won't have to go to the doctor for a checkup I won't have to go to the doctor for my blood work I won't have to take vitamins and I'll be complete and a perfect resurrection body. Contrary to popular belief, we are not just going to be invisible spirits hovering around for eternity like Casper the ghost. That's not true. God is eventually going to clothe our spirit with a new body that will last forever read a story about a little boy who was walking on the beach and he found a, a dead seagull. Quickly ran over to his mother and he said, Mama, come here, I want to show you something. She walked over to the dead bird and said, what happened to him? She thought this would be a great uh, teachable moment and she said, well, he died and he went to heaven. The boy looked at that lifeless seagull's body for a few moments and he said, then, then God threw him back down? See, in a sense, 
That's what happens at death. When your tent's destroyed, when your body dies, God leaves that tent. Leaves that tent because he has no more use for it and neither do you. But he has a new body and a new you that enters into eternity. We cannot be in, in two places at one time. While the spirit is at home in our body, it is away from the Lord. But when our spirit leaves our body, we go to be at home with the Lord. At death, we look to, 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 to spiritual life. At death, you find out who you really are and who you really are is not the tent you lived in but the spiritual you that lived inside that tent is the real you. Say, Pastor, that got a little confusing. Well, very simple. The real you goes to be with Jesus, and that leads to the last thing that Paul said. He said, after death, we'll live in eternal life. Now, there was something uh, that all of us must keep in mind. What the Apostle Paul is, is writing here is not uh, applicable for everybody. He's addressing believers and people who are, are followers of Jesus. In one sense, uh, sentence, he makes it perfectly plain what happens the moment we leave this tent. We're confident, I say, that we would prefer to be from the body, from this body at home with the Lord. I'd rather be at home with the Lord. Now, some translators would say this, we are confident. Others say we are of good courage, and, and they both fit. Death is a fact that we all have to face, but it is a fate that the Christian has not to fear. See, for the believer, death simply means we are absent from this tent and present with the tent maker. You just immediately change locations. This is why we should never ever fear death because Paul makes something clear in verse number 5. In verse number 5 when he tells us, he says, Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath made us the, the earnest of the Spirit. We look and you say, he's the one. He is the one giving us the, the Spirit as a deposit, as, a, as a, a promise or as a guaranteeing of what is to come. And we look and you go, there he is. So for those who truly know Jesus, from the first time we drew our first breath, God was preparing for us to go to eternity with him. He has made us what we are now, so that day he might remake us to what we ought to be. The word there for fashion literally means prepared, and that word is huge. He's prepared. He has set me apart. He's made me. See, you are not prepared to die until we receive what Jesus has done in your life and mine. What he wants to do in your life and mine, and that is to forgive us of our sins. And we have to come admitting our wrong. We have to come repenting of our sin. I believe one of the challenges that we have in a lot of churches today is just that right there. We preach so close to salvation, and yet we forget or we leave out the part where we say repentance is salvation. Without repentance, there's no remission of sins. And I believe that's one of the challenges we come up to. Pray this prayer. And I don't have a problem with folks praying a prayer. That's not the point. But when you see folks that don't repent, now we have a conflict. See, when folks invite Jesus in their heart, they're to repent of their sin. And when we repent of our sins, then he's made us a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. All of a sudden, I've got my name now written down 
in the Lamb's book of life. And when my name's written in the book of life, I have the guarantee that when this tent drops, there's another body. And it's been made and fashioned in heaven by the maker of all the heavens and earth. And he said, I got a place for you. And he promised me so. In the Gospel of John, when he said that I go to prepare a place for you, he promised me so. I know that that place is there, and I can't wait. See, we can draw a clear conclusion, and we can, from all that we just read and heard, when we die, we're going to go into the presence of God, or we're going to go out of the presence of God. There's no in-between. When this tent drops into the presence of God, that feels comfortable and fuzzy and warm. Out of the presence of God, that's a place called hell. Again, when this tent drops, you say, that's death. When this tent drops, one place or the other, and we look and we go, well, there's it is. We don't have to consult somebody. See, the conclusion is simple. When you die, your spirit, your soul will be separated from your body. At that mo moment, eternal destiny will be determined. I think it's interesting you don't have to consult a fortune te teller, a Ouija board, an astrologer, a deck of cards to find out what lies on the other side of death. God already told us all we'll ever need to know. He made it plain. It all comes down to the right turn. Live right, die right, and be forever right. 95-year-old woman who lived in a nursing home. She'd been a lifelong member of the church, and one day one of her fellow church members came to visit with her. She said, Miss Smith, how you how you feeling? She said, I'm worried to death. She said, uh, what are you worried about? Are you sick? She said, no, ma'am. No, she said, are you, uh, are you in any pain? She said, no, I, I feel great. She said, did you run out of money? She said, oh, no, no, I'm financially secure. She said, well, what are you worried about? And with a deep sigh, this lady said, well, every close friend that I've ever had has already died and gone to heaven. And I'm afraid they're wondering where I'm at. You realize you don't have to wonder where you're going. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross and he came back from the dead to give us confidence and courage that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And the one who came for us the first time so that we might live for him will come back for us another time so that we, when we die, we might live with him. When he does, we will be forever right. We'll be forever right. What a picture and what a promise. You know what? Each of us have to settle it for ourselves. And I believe that in the days in which we live, there are a lot of people, they've heard enough of the truth that it's almost dangerous. But they've never surrendered to the truth to where they say, hear me. Save me. 
not only do I challenge us in this area that if we don't know Jesus, that we settle that. But I would also challenge you to take one more step. And that's to pray. Because Jesus told us the fields are white for the harvest. The laborers are few. Pray ye therefore for laborers. <laughs> Always found that interesting. Pray for folks to do the work they Give us the laborers, the leaders, capable leaders and volunteers to do the work of the ministry. Lord, that I'd surrender and be a part and do what you call me to do. Help us to grow in that. Help us to say yes. Let's stand together in prayer. With our heads bowed around.